Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. After a brutal loss in Jacksonville, Seattle drops to 8-5 and five on the season. 30-24 the final as the Seahawks fall to the Jaguars. And this is the Game Plan Podcast on 1029thegame.com. Alongside Brian Perkins, I'm Judah Newby. Big picture, it could have hurt much worse if the Rams beat the Eagles Sunday in L.A. They did not. So the division is still somehow within the Seahawks' grasp. If they can beat the Rams next Sunday, however, injuries to Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright in this Jacksonville game significantly call into question Seattle's chances next week. So we'll have to see how the details unfold on that. But regardless, you just we're going to have to look at this game for what it was, uh, regardless of playoff ramifications, because holy cow, Perkins, this was a frustrating game to watch. It really was from almost start to finish. Yep. There were things about this game that pissed me off. Like there was there weren't many times watching this football game where I felt actual joy, where I felt happiness. Mm, mm. <laughs> and I'm sure that it it's was... It's an elusive this... feeling, joy, <laughs> happiness. Well, you know, there's games like... It's the holiday season. You, yeah, you expect to feel these feelings at some point. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, you know, games have ebbs and flows, right? And, and, you know, Seattle's played some frustrating games this year, without a doubt. But this one, it just felt like from start to finish, there were constant mistakes and errors that just frustrate the hell out of you. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it started in the first quarter and it went till after the damn game was over. I mean, that's that's literally the type of game this was. And I mean, whether it was on the field mistakes, whether it was going after guys knees when the game was well in hand for Jacksonville or guys trying to go in the stands or fans throwing stuff at players. I mean, this whole game was a debacle from start to finish from a Seahawks perspective. It's ugly. You're right. So much self-inflicted mistakes. Yeah, I think of, you know, well. First of all, let's just evaluate the first half. Uh, Seattle able to move the ball on their opening drive, but they ended up deciding to punt once they get into plus territory, which I know you weren't a fan of. And ultimately, when it's all said and done, they can't do much on offense in that opening half. Jacksonville gets a field goal after driving down into the red zone. Seahawks defense able to thicken up a little bit and force that field goal. And then at the very end of the half, Seattle is able to move the football, set themselves up in a nice position to be able to kick for three points, and Blair Walsh happens all over again. He misses the 38-yarder. And after starting the season 12 for his first 13 in field goal attempts, Walsh is 7 of 13 since. Seven makes, six misses since starting 12 of 13. So, you know, 19 of, of 26. Now at this point, that, that he's got to go. That's not good. He's got to go. there. You can't miss 40-yard field goals. You can't, I mean, you just, you can't miss them on a regular basis like no. he is. You know, I, I think that when, when you get to the 50-plus range or even, like, the high, the really high 40s when, like, conditions are weird in this time of year and, you know, the ball's kind of heavy or this or that, you know, you go, okay, fine, you know. You can you can understand that. But this is a guy that's missed, you know, he's missed a few extra points. He's missed 35-yard field goal, 40-yard field goal, you know, mid-40s. That's I'm sorry, but that is unacceptable you know, and on a team where you just don't have room for error anymore because of injuries, especially to the defensive side, to not, I, I mean, look, the three points might be inconsequential in the end because, you know, they would have still needed a touchdown to, go, you know, go ahead in that game late or you, you never know how the game plays out, I guess, but it certainly would have helped. I, it, I mean, it doesn't hurt. That. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. And so that's just really frustrating when, 
you know, you're going up, and this is this is why I'm I was frustrated about them, you know, not going for it as well on the 38 yard line is when you're going up against a defense like Jacksonville, which I would say is the best defense in the NFL. And they're the defense is the reason they're, you know, nine and four now on the season and their record and their schedule a little bit probably helps with that. You get to play the Colts twice a year. That doesn't hurt, right? Um every point matters. Every blade of grass to sounds what the defense says matters, you know, and when you can't capitalize when you're in opposing teams' territory, that's really frustrating in games like that. You're on the road. The weather is pretty good. You're playing on grass, which the team hasn't historically played well in the P. Carolera on grass on the road, and you have a chance for points. It's really frustrating when you come away empty. And twice in the first half, they were in the range of scoring in some way, shape, or form, whether it be a 55-yard field goal, going for it on fourth and two or fourth and three, or missing a 38 or a 40 yard field goal at the end of the half, you know, those are points that I feel like you left, you know, out there on the field that you needed in that game. And when you lose by six points, it goes to show that they did. Came into this game with a pretty optimistic feel. I know, I know you felt good about it. I felt pretty good about it. Um, you know, I just didn't see a scenario in which Blake Bortles would have a good game against a Seahawk defense. And it turns out Blake Bortles had one of the best games of his career against the Seattle defense, Dimes. obviously without Sherman and Chancellor. But to be fair, Bortles was on the money with a lot of throws, not a whole lot of difficult throws. He wasn't throwing it all over the yard, but he was hitting little 20-yard flag routes for a touchdown to D.D. Westbrook. The 75-yard touchdown bomb that he had in the third quarter was a really nice throw, but that went, I don't know, 30, 35 yards down the field. Um, st- throws that we see Russell Wilson make with regularity because they allow him to attempt those kind of throws. Blake Bortles is not really allowed to attempt those kind of throws very often. You saw in the first half, all of his throws were five yards from the line of scrimmage, you know, little drag routes over the middle to Marquise Lee, who's really good, by the way. We don't get to see enough of Marquise Lee, very physical receiver. But Bortles was on the money. I haven't seen him really play a game with this much accuracy in his career before, and, you know, it it really showed. If Bortles, I, I kept waiting for Bortles to make the mistake, and he almost did. To Byron Maxwell. To Byron Maxwell. And that's obviously a tough play, and it's a great pass breakup in that situation. But it kind of, it kind of, I felt like it might have been a Matt Schaub type mistake in t- 2012 when the Seahawks played the Texans, 2013 in Houston. And Schaub kind of threw a couple picks in the fourth quarter, including the Sherman pick six. And those were the type of mistakes that allow Seattle to steal a road win. I thought Bortles was going to make that mistake, even into the fourth quarter, despite playing well. I was like, when's the Bortles mistake coming? And that play to Maxwell, it almost came. But other than that, Blake Bortles, God, it's incredible, but you got to tip the cap to him. Yeah, no, he played really well. And you know the other thing that you have to say about that is what helps him? One quarterback hit the entire game, no sacks. Mm, I, I mean, it's a bad game for the pass rush, man. It was very bad. I mean, a, in so a week, many levels. A week after they played pretty well against Philly's offensive line. Yeah, and so, I mean, Bortles played well, and you don't want to take anything away because, you know, he had some passes that were just on the money. I think of the... Uh, the touchdown pass. I can't. Dude, the third quarter was such a whirlwind. It's it's hard to even keep track. Right. But Jacksonville outscored Seattle twenty one to ten in the third quarter, where he where he just dropped one in right over KJ Wright, who got beat, or there was some mi- major miscommunication, and Earl overplayed on the other side of the field, and um, you know that that play though was just it's a great throw. I mean, a great. Throw. I mean, it couldn't have been better <laughs> from Blake Bortles. Caught him in stride. I mean, it wasn't behind him. It was oh. perfect. You know, so. Um, and I also think of the third down, they throw the ball on third and four, 
on a fly route. I mean, that they let Blake Bortles throw on third and four, first of all, and it was on one-on-one <laughs> coverage, and he threw a dime. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, he you know, that really helped well. get a, a couple crucial first downs in the middle of the fourth quarter to keep Seattle off the field. So, yeah, great game for, for Blake Bortles in this game. You know, moving on into that third quarter, though, Perkins, we saw, you know, Seattle get off to as worse a start in the third quarter that you could have hoped for, getting the ball back down 3 nothing, and immediately giving it right back to the Jaguars with the second of Wilson's three interceptions. Very inconsistent game from Russell Wilson. You want to give him praise because of the fourth quarter comeback heroics, but up until midway point of the fourth quarter, I mean, the passing game was a liability. The best way the Seattle was running the football or the best way they were moving the football was the run game. Until Mike Davis got hurt. <laughs> Unbelievably. Yeah. The Their best offense was running the football against the Jaguars. I mean, that's some unpredictable stuff. Yeah. And, you know, Russell Wilson after the game, when because they were asked, like, he, he seemed to really be forcing balls, right? Deep balls. Oh, yeah. When he had guys open underneath. Uh, or, you know, I mean, there was there was one, one of the picks, the one that was on the one-yard line. I mean, Tyler Lockett was pretty much wide open on the other side of the field, you know, 10 mm-hmm. yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, and he said after the game, Wilson, we needed something. We needed some kind of explosive place. See, that's that's frustrating because that's once again a a that is not the way that they needed to play that football game. I mean, I get that they live and die off of explosive plays in a lot of ways, but when you have guys open in the flat, guys open over the middle, and you can continue to move the sticks, I don't know why you'd be forcing footballs, you know, down the field like that. And it did not work in their favor this game at all. No, um, at all. Three picks. And, you know, a, a couple of them, you know, the one in the first half in the end zone, they were in, they were entering Jacksonville. Ter- I don't know if they were in Jacksonville territory yet, but they were very close, you know, um, to getting into scoring position again. And he throws the pick in the end zone. So, you know, um, not a great game from him and MVP hopes probably out the window after that performance. Yeah. I mean, he would have had they would have had to probably run the table. And he would have had to play fantastic for him to to probably get into that conversation just because of the team's record. They would have needed to win this game, I think. Yeah. And if they would have somehow rallied to win this game, and you're talking four touchdowns, three picks, then you could have still talked yourself. That line looks a little different, Especially with it? <laughs> the leading MVP candidate being out for the year now in Carson Wentz. Fair enough. Um, you know, that certainly would have helped his cause. Now I think when you're talking MVP race, I mean, what do you do? <laughs> Philip Rivers. Is it uh, Tom Brady? You know, Brady is probably the leader in the clubhouse right now. If they end Mike up Davis. getting the one seed in the AFC, God, it should be Mike Davis. I tell you what, Mike Davis, Jermaine Fetty, dude. <laughs> Can we let's talk about Jermaine Fetty for? I didn't mean to trigger you. Sorry, I no. Because <laughs> here's the thing: I actually, I actually have a lot of respect for Jermaine Fetty. I mean, he's still young, obviously, and he still makes young guy mistakes, but. At, there were a couple times in this game, maybe three, but at least two, that a flag was thrown in Jermaine Fetty's direction. And I was like, my first reaction, of course, was like, got to be kidding me. <laughs> Jermaine Fetty holding Dante Fowler. But both times, it was Fowler hands to the face. And, you know, that got me back in Fetty's camp a little bit. Like, look, guys are trying to, they know that Fetty is prone to the penalty. But. A sign of maturation is being able to control your emotions and control your temper, but exert your physicality on the field within the rules of the game. And Effetti has not been good at that so far in his young career, but I think this game, you know, there were a couple times it almost got out of hand with him and he got called for a couple penalties, but 
he also drew a couple penalties on the defense when uh, when they needed some. So ultimately, not a horrible game from Mafetti. See, I, I, it's interesting how you look at it, how two people can see the same thing and look at something so differently. The unsportsmanlike conduct was unacceptable from him uh, early in that game. You got offsetting That's penalties. That uh, un- unacceptable. And I didn't even see the. Uh, I didn't see it on video. He followed the ref across the field. Oh, Talk, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But so, did he say he must, he must have, have said something? I mean, he must have, right? I mean, because he didn't touch him. He didn't do anything. Look, the refs were letting a lot of things go in that game. They were. Like, think of all the scuffles that happened. I don't see where why they were... couldn't have let that go. But that's my point. Is what did he say? So I mean, I don't he's... know what he said. But if it was something benign, that's bull. That's baloney. <laughs> that's baloney. Yeah. But I mean, it's unacceptable. You, the team basically punted on second down after that play because they threw a little screen pass to Mike Davis and then ran the football, and it was third, fourth and seventeen. And they punted. You know, John Ryan was punting out of his own end zone. Yeah. Um. On a on a play, by the way, where there were offsetting penalties. Yeah. Uh. And so you would have had a. You know. Would have been great to have that pi. Yeah, it would have been second down and. Whatever you know, second and ten, or, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Second ten or second and eight or whatever it was. So I mean, just absolutely brutal um, by Effetti. And those are the types of plays all year. He st- he leads the league in penalties still, and I know he's cleaned it up a little bit as of late. But the hands to the face, I mean, that's that's more on Fowler just making a mistake than Jermaine Effetti doing anything right. I mean, I don't I don't look at that as a positive for him by another player making a mistake. I'm I just think, saying it was refreshing to see a flag in his direction that wasn't against him. Oh yeah, him. fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. I think that in if I was a betting man in 2018, he's not starting at right tackle. Really? You know who I think starting at right tackle? George Fant. Yeah, Dwayne probably. Brown gets brought in. Probably they re up. No, but I think they kick him into to guard or something. There's a spot for him. He's not a bad player. You know the uh, he's he's getting better. I guess. No, he's um, he's not a bad player. He he's okay. he can block. He just is incredibly penalty prone ridden. Yeah, though. You know the team only had. You know I who's the worst offensive lineman game? on this team right now? It's Luke Jokel. Yeah, Luke Jokel's getting his ass handed to him. He is. And Posick had a couple plays in that game where he got and, blown up. And Posick did as well. But, but 78's ass was on the ground way too much in this game. Yeah. Come and you're going up against the best defensive front in the NFL. So, you know, there were going to be issues. Yeah. Um, but, man, watching Dwayne Brown play left tackle is, like, incredible compared to what they had. Yeah. I mean. He's, he's got a great body. He's just so freaking good. I, I think he had one play in that game that was bad. Like, he let one guy by that I can remember. Um, but, you know, the offensive line, I actually think – in general, like, wasn't horrible for most of the game. Like, I, yeah, considering the opponent. Yeah. I mean, you're going, I mean, this is a, an offensive line that's played about average to, to the league, which is good yeah. over the last, you know, three Month, or four weeks. Yeah. And I felt that they were about that level again this week going up against that front. I was, I mean, I didn't go away from that game going, wow, that offensive line was a train wreck. <laughs> Obviously, the, the fourth quarter comeback was nice, but Russell Wilson should have played better. Yeah. Should have played better. I think forcing those throws down the field, missing a couple guys, you know, he did not have a good game at all. He didn't. And I would argue not only that, but I mean, you look at, you look at Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham was a no show. What kind of, what was that? I mean, he wasn't moving fast. I know he's not exactly a fast mover to begin with. He's not known for his top end speed, but he just was kind of loping around the field. And when he drops passes, he turns the the optics of Jimmy Graham when he's playing poorly 
is like a big loaf that shouldn't be on the field. <laughs> yeah. And when he's playing well, it's like a giant that can't be stopped. Yeah. That's the optics with Jimmy Graham. Am I am I right yeah. on that? When yeah. he's playing poorly, it just looks like he doesn't belong. Yeah. And when he's catching footballs and making great plays, it's like, wow, this guy's the best tight end ever. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. like really no middle ground. And and he played so bad in this game. I mean so bad. Like you know, the, the, the drop ball on the final drive to me is inexcusable. The throw over the middle, yeah, he's gonna get hit. But guess what? The good tight ends in football, Vernon Davis makes that play no problem. And Rob Gronkowski makes that play no problem. And the hit Jimmy was Graham, totally legal. Like great when hit. I, when I saw it, I was like, whoa, whoa, targeting. And then I, you look back, you're like, oh wow, that was a great hit. And you he did, watch, he did jump up a little bit, but Jimmy Graham is so big, he still <laughs> hit him in the shoulder. When you watch in slow motion, Graham, the ball goes right through his hands, and then he immediately, before he gets oh, hit, yeah. looks behind him. Footsteps, without a doubt. And this is the thing that just kills me about this guy is in the red zone, throwing at him, you know, in the end zone, he's been. Pretty good, at least as of late. Well, you know, he's been great contact. lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leads the late. league in touchdowns. Yeah, for sure. But I'm, I'm thinking just over the scope of the year, I was, I was not very happy with him in the red zone the first month of the season. Yeah, so nobody was. Um, you know, and you look at him and how physical he is. But God, I just can't help but look at the guy and go, man, this guy's soft. Like for a tight end, for in the way that Seattle plays, like, you know, Vanette had a drop two in this game. Um, yeah, he had trouble adjusting to that ball. I think that ball could have been thrown better. You're too. right. It wasn't a great throw. Yeah, it, you're right. it was just a you're weird right. communication so with trajectory and where he was. But he was so wide open that I don't, I don't know how they don't complete that ball. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, um, but prop, so, so yeah, props to the run game. Right, we got to mm-hmm. give it up to the run game. Yep, 24 carries as a team for 141 yards, five for 50 for Russell Wilson. So you're talking 19 carries for. For 91 yards. That's still pretty good. As a team, they're averaging 5.9 yards a carry, but even without Russell Wilson's runs, a couple of which were QB keepers, by the way, you know, it's still about four and a half yards a carry. That's against the Jacksonville defense that's really darn good that has Marcel Darius on their team now. Yeah. You know, that's a really solid effort, and a lot of it has to be given to Mike Davis. I mean, 15 carries for 66 yards. He was he was fun to watch, especially that one drive where they just kept handing him the ball yeah. four times in a row, and he picked up three first downs in that span. <laughs> it was unreal. It was like keep giving the ball to Mike Davis. When was the last time we saw a running back just be able to put the offense on his back and move him up the field? Yeah, Marshawn was the last guy to be able to do that. Yeah, even take away the Tyler Lockett uh, you fly know, sweep sweep that he had. First down. It was great, it's but good. like if we're just talking pure like running game, yeah. you know, I, McKissick had a couple of really nice runs. The one to the outside where he's able to scamper for an extra two or three yards. Hit that hole fast. Yeah, too. yeah. Nice. McKissick has been better in between the tackles than I thought he would be, just because he's so small. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he's been, I mean, he's been good and he's been durable. By the way, something that Prosize has not been um, in his career. But man, you're right. The running game was awesome in this game, yeah. and. It was still complimentary to the pass game, which, which well, only because they had to go pass heavy in the fourth quarter. Though I, you know, yeah. I, I, what were your thoughts on this? They were running the ball obviously with success. Yeah, in the third quarter when they were down, I felt like not only were they running the ball because Davis showed that he was capable, but I think they were running the ball because they couldn't trust Wilson. He was not playing well. I, I got yeah. the feeling that they kept going to the run, even the Tyler Lockett run. To me, that was normally a passing situation. And that was a product of not having full trust in your quarterback. And maybe Russell Wilson's play was standing out a little bit more to me than it was to other people. But I, I just, he was a liability for two and a half, three quarters. And they, so they went run heavy in the third quarter, even when they were losing. Now, granted, they were having success, but 
that's trouble for me. I mean, how often do you talk about an MVP caliber quarterback being somebody that you're cautious giving the ball to? Well, and I know that I know you're I, I agree with you on the situation, but you even look early in that game. and I know they, they drove down the field on that first drive. But man, he even looks shaky. I mean, the, the first pass of the game that ended up getting challenged and overturned, um, which is just so odd to me that you would challenge a three yard gain on the first pass of the game. But whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. So people ripping Doug Marone immediately for that. I'm not ripping like, him, but it was no, just no, not odd. you. But it was on twi- on Twitter. Everyone's like, Doug Marone, look at this challenge. Like, well, if he knows it's incomplete, why not challenge, right? Yeah. The problem is you only have so many. So, if, but if you keep winning them, but you still only get, I think you two get you get three. an extra one if you win both. Yeah, so you yeah. get three max in the game, and on a three-yard gain, the first play of the game, I don't know. It That's just seemed. I I get what you're saying, and I agree. Like he yeah. knew that it was, uh, and look, it, in the end, it worked out, right? Yeah. Like they, it didn't matter, but it was just kind of odd that it's like the first play, and it's not an explosive play. Right. And most coaches, I don't know if every coach would challenge that. That's, yeah. You know, it's a fair point. I I didn't look at it and go, wow, dumb mistake. But anyway, when you look at it, yeah, I mean the the run game definitely. I mean, it was was much better uh, than the past game. But, you know, when you look at Wilson on that opening drive, was the opening drive where he missed Vanette? It was, right? I think so. So he misses Vanette on that drive. You know, the pass to, to P. Rich, the first play of the game, was not a great pass. Mm-hmm. You know, he did complete some passes, obviously, later in that drive to continue to move the sticks, the one to, I think, to Doug Ball. Yeah, on third down. Um, on third down. And, you know, so he was looking good for the most part. But you could even tell early that, you know, with, with Russ – when he's off, it seems like he floats a lot of passes. Like he does, he just doesn't quite, you know, have enough zip to the ball or this and that. That pass to P. Rich felt that way, and the one to Vanette just seemed a little high, a little behind him. I mean, and all game, I mean, he just, I mean, it just didn't seem like. And why, by the way? Okay, how is Russell Wilson in the fourth quarter so different? I mean, this. I know he's always been better in the second half and in the fourth quarter throughout his career, but. He just broke an NFL record for most touchdowns in the fourth quarter in a season. You look at his passer rating in the fourth quarter compared to the previous three. I mean, this is unlike anything we've ever seen. What's the deal? Yeah, I, I don't know if you can explain it with anything tangible. I don't. I can't. You know, the, the only thing that I can think of is that he's so mentally disciplined to rise to the occasion in clutch situations. I mean, that's something he's been practicing in his mind since NC State, you know, is coming up in the clutch, visualizing success, game-winning drives, all that stuff. But that's not tangible reasons for suggesting that he's better, especially in this game where he seemed to be so off the mark, you know, he's forcing deep balls. I think Jacksonville helped him because a couple of those deep balls were, well, the Lockett one, that's blown coverage. Yeah cornerback thinking or Barry Church thinking that he's got Puzlesny on the help. Puzlesny doesn't get over to Tyler Lockett because Puzlesny's not as fast. That's an easy touchdown to Lockett. The P-Rich ball, that's just a receiver winning in one-on-one and and doing his thing. Which, by the way, what here's another reason for the interceptions. Wilson throws those deep balls. They're, we call it forcing it because they're interceptions. Otherwise, it's, oh, he won the 50-50 battle. But how many times have we seen receivers win that 50-50 battle? Like Paul Richardson specifically. Like the entire Texans game? Baldwin has won, yeah. Like, <laughs> the, that was the best game I've seen from the Seahawks receiver core was the Texans game. But that's, I think, that's Wilson's mentality is they've made plays for me before, so I'm going to throw 50-50 balls to them. In this scenario, it, it maybe is a little bit less on the quarterback and more, you know what, great plays by Ramsey and Bouye on the deep balls. Yeah. 
because he's seen those 50-50 balls, you know, maybe they're thrown a little bit better, but he's seen those go for big plays before in one-on-one. I still think they're 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 forcing too much of the explosive play mentality. I just they, I feel they did like, yesterday. I, I yeah. feel like that's just I, I don't think that they need to force it as much as they are. But I get what you're saying, though, right. for sure, because they've won a lot of those battles, and it doesn't look like he's forcing it, right? And when P. Rich won one on the long touchdown. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. But Russell Wilson, maybe he's like that that kid in school that works better under pressure, so he puts off his homework until, like, the big essay he has to write. Until I the feel night this before. way about the whole Seahawks team. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Yeah. He puts off his homework, but he writes better he writes the best essay ever because he put it off until the last minute and under pressure he's better. That's almost how Russell Wilson is. Like in the fourth quarter, when push comes to shove, he's the guy you want at quarterback. You know? Because he has that mentality. Like when they had the ball, I was like, they're going to win this effing game. So yeah. They're going to win this bleeping football game. This is unbelievable. And then Jimmy Graham drops a pass and Doug Baldwin runs out of bounds. I, I mean, and then the, the no call, of course. but The no call and the sack allowed. Yeah. The sack allowed and the no call. The no call to me, I, fans are really harping on that. It sucked. <laughs> it it did suck. But if, I guess my point being, three of those four plays were completely out of his control. And the sack, I would argue, was as well. So, I mean, I thought that, man, Russell Wilson is going to freaking pull it out of his ass again on the road in Jacksonville after being down double digits in the fourth quarter. This is insane. Against this defense. And I was like, I felt like almost 100% confident they were going to come back and win when they got the ball back. I did too. So they had, they had the ball two and a half minutes left, two timeouts at their own 42-yard line, needing a touchdown to win. And Which play bothers you most in that, in uh, that play scenario? To me, it was the Graham drop. The Graham drop. The Baldwin one bothered me, but it's still third and one. Like, it's a yard. See, like- but, we, <laughs> but you, you know this too because you've watched a lot of football. I've watched a lot of football. That happens a lot. Where guys run out of bounds. When when a guy runs out of bounds like that and you're like, oh, okay, but hey, at least it's third and one, and they ultimately don't make it. Yeah. Like that that happens a lot. It's the just, priority there is first down. move the sticks. Yeah. Move the sticks, move time. the sticks, move the sticks. Time is not a factor. And I don't know what went through Baldwin's head, but between that play by Baldwin and the Atlanta drop that he had that he induced Pete Carroll to challenge on, those were two of the worst plays I've seen Doug Baldwin make, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, he's a great player, and he had a great – he had a pretty good game besides that. But but the grand drop kills me. The, the defensive coverage there was so soft. The so defense soft. was they on their heels. Giving them a free first down. And that's what kills me is that is that the way that you felt the you felt it in that game. Seattle forces a three and out. The defense for Jacksonville just giving up two scores. Like, they were on their heels. And you saw they how, ran the football on third and long. And you saw how, yeah, exactly. You saw how they were playing Graham in that play, and he drops the ball, and it changed the whole tone of that drive. I mean, I, that's how I feel about it. That's seriously how badly I feel about that play, mm-hmm. that drop. Um, you know, the Baldwin play once again not great at all, but the Graham drop is so mind-numbingly irritating. I, I can't even. It's hard for you to even think about it. It just pisses me off. So and much. and the no call just drives that dagger right into your spirit. It does. It does. I'm a. You know me. I'm a big like. You you dig your own grave. I don't think the refs do it for you, and um, you're not relying on a, on the refs there in that situation if you make plays earlier. So. And then when it's all said and done, you know Jacksonville gets the football back, but there's enough time on the clock where you can foresee getting the ball. You know maybe at the twenty if it's a touchback on a punt, but at least you get the ball back around your own ten yard line. No timeouts, but you got Russell Wilson, and you got forty five, fifty seconds, forty five right? or fifty seconds to do something crazy. 
And on third and, on, and, and, and on 11? third and 11, you allow a first down on a run play to the left side. I honestly, I actually turned the TV off after that. After I saw him cross the sticks. Then I started walking around the building a little bit. Then I came back to realize, oh, like half the team got ejected. That's nice. Yeah, uh, I was... Two players got ejected. Pete Carroll got penalized. Quentin Richardson got beverages and beer thrown on him. It was, it was, uh, I saw you put this on Twitter. I think everybody felt similarly, very similar to the end of Super Bowl 49. You know, in terms of just yes. ugliness taking over the game. Yeah, yeah. Frustration from the defense and going for knees. And, and the Michael Bennett thing is inexcusable. And if they get, if he or Sheldon, Quentin Jefferson is going to get suspended for sure. But if Michael Bennett or even Sheldon Richardson for throwing a punch gets suspended from that game. You think Jefferson's going to be suspended? I, I mean, he tried to go into the stands. He didn't, though. But he tried. He, like, legit tried. It wasn't like he walked up to them and was, like, yelling at them right at the edge. He literally tried to climb. He had multiple beers thrown on Dude, I'm not saying. I, I know, I, I know. But do, do you think that The punishment for those in? fans should be that they have to come down and face their consequences. Because fans believe they live in this bubble where they can say whatever they want yeah. and do whatever they want right. with no consequences. And bleep that crap. I, I'm just saying if you're if it's a suspension conversation. You can't. Well, won't you look at the fact? I mean, you've got to look at the fact that multiple cans of alcohol were thrown on Quentin Jefferson. Here's the problem, though: if you don't sus- suspend him, what are you saying about what he did? You fine him a lot of money, but that doesn't do anything. I mean, these guys, the fines don't matter. It's missing games that matter to these guys because you not only do you miss the money, <laughs> you miss the game as well. In a big game, by the way, against the Rams, I think that if the league, I'll doesn't... say this: I don't think he should be suspended. Okay. Well, I do. I think the league is going to set make an example of him. And I think it's going to be more than one game. But we'll see. Why? I don't think it should be, but I think I think that the league right now has a major image problem. Well, and, yeah, but they haven't suspended anybody more than one game. I mean, that was he was I mean, that was almost malice in the palace. But he didn't. <sighs> Dude, I I don't know. And he was clearly provoked. Intent. Intent. I agree he was provoked and those fans should be banned for life, but man, I, I don't know. I think he's going to get suspended. If they we'll don't suspend Aqib Tlaib and Michael Crabtree for more than one game, they tried and they got appealed and immediately went down to one game. Yeah, And a lot true. of people thought that it shouldn't be that because it happened in the first quarter. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing about this is why I think that maybe Michael Bennett or Sheldon Richardson could get a, a game because Richardson was ejected when the game was, you know, over. So if they truly believe that the punch he threw – you know, deserves him actually missing time. I mean, we could be talking about two or three of your defensive linemen out, maybe no Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright. Good luck. Uh, well, let's turn our focus into next week then. Well, hold on real quick, though. Just going back to that that by the Seahawks, if they get suspended, they deserve it. What Michael Bennett did is dirty, cheap, and inexcusable, and it makes the whole team look bad. It makes the fans look bad. It makes the whole organization look bad, and it was disgusting. And for a guy that didn't do shit all game to act like that, ridiculous. Yeah, he, absolutely ridiculous. Whenever stuff like that happens, I think it's coming from a deeper place. I think Michael's probably frustrated with how he's been playing. I think he's hurt. I think he's been playing hurt for yeah. a month. And, you know, in that respect, he's giving it all first team. And I love Michael Bennett. Like, but, I love Michael. You know how I feel right. about him. 
and I don't care that he sits during national anthems. I think it's his right to do it. I don't think he's being disrespectful to the military. Any of that. It's nothing to do with that. In the locker room, he came to the defense of Quentin Jefferson. Like, Quentin Jefferson's answering questions he doesn't want to ask. Michael Bennett interrupts the whole session, says, get away from this guy. He needs his space. And and then, you know, Jaron Reed said that, claimed it's the person in the crowd. Because if you watch the video, Jefferson was walking to the locker room and someone said something that pissed him off. And I immediately thought, Racial slur, yeah, is where I immediately what they're went. saying, and that's what Jaron Reed said was that someone dropped an end bomb, yeah, um, and threw alcohol at the dude. I know, and technically he didn't go Fans in. Fans are the worst, man. Fans are the worst. We're the worst. We are the we worst. are the worst as a whole. Anyway, sorry, I just had to get that out because Michael Bennett after the whistle going after knees like that. It's I mean, never good, it's yeah. unacceptable. All right, so immediately after that, my I did turn the television off, and then I was like. Shoot, the whole season can be hanging in the balance right now because if the Rams win this game, then you're talking about being down by two games. And now next week is out of your control. Even if you win, you're still down a game to the Rams in the division. And every, and there's no saying that you... And if you lose next week to the Rams, now the whole playoffs are called into question. But the Rams lose to a team in the fourth quarter playing Nick Foles. And Nick Foles comes up with a couple huge passes. Third down to uh, Nelson Aguilar to steal to seal a victory. What a game, first of all. <laughs> I don't know if you were keeping your eye on this or not. I wasn't able to. Unbelievable it. football game. I was going back between Red Zone and, and Seattle. Unbelievable football game. And, you know, I think the Seahawks should be thanking their lucky stars that the Eagles pulled out that road win because yeah, especially with Carson Wentz leaving with, with the torn ACL and it was confirmed a few minutes ago, it is an ACL tear and it's going to be for the season for Carson Wentz, but what a terrible it, season for injuries. Terrible, Jesus. terrible season. Um, yeah, but as it stands right now, Seattle's only one game back of the LA Rams. I think for losing that game in Jacksonville, at least the Rams lost too, because that was a very bit winnable game for them. It was for sure. And to all the Seahawks fans rooting for Atlanta to win on Thursday and for Carolina to w- beat the Vikings, how do you feel now? Yeah. How do you feel now? Because you're ba- it's basically division or bust at this point. So, And if you have no Bobby Wagner, no K.J. Wright, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but Wagner has, what, a hamstring? Wagner's got a hammy, yeah. Great. You have... Uh, you you know KJ I mean maybe he'll clear concussion protocol you just don't know right I mean it's it's to- you have no idea he hasn't really had issues with that in the past that I know of so hopefully you know it being an outlier he'll recover quickly um, if guys get suspended on that defensive line good that, luck that'll be good a luck thing. yeah I don't know if they can stop the, the Rams. Rams are a good football team man oh, they're a dude, really good football this isn't that offense can move the ball on just about anybody except the Vikings. I mean I don't care if this game's in Seattle you're missing that many guys you're gonna have to put up. A- this is going to be like the Philly game and in, in, in how many points you're going to have to put up. Now, ultimately, they won that Philly game comfortably. But if if the Rams just put 35 up, no problem on Philly's defense, you know, there this is going to be in the 30s, this game. Yeah. I, this is, there's no way this is going to be a 16-10 game like it was in October in L.A., right? Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. And once again, the pressure goes back to Russell Wilson to – put the team on his shoulders as he's had to do every win this season because you have a banged up defense and you know I mean is Mike Davis do we know about his status I mean he looked, sure, yeah. he looked pretty injured on the field I, I mean, think he came back in the game though didn't he did he yeah. okay 
All right. He ended up running off under his own power. That game felt like a blur to me in so many ways where there were so many things that were just like coloring my vision because I was so pissed <laughs> half the time. So, yeah, man. I mean, we'll have to see with the injuries. I think that, I mean, you saw what happened when Bobby Wagner left the football game. Yeah, I Literally was surprised the next... that they were able to force Jacksonville to punt in the fourth quarter. <laughs> the next three offensive plays that he was out for Jacksonville, they scored touchdowns. <laughs> you know, we got to mention the special teams role in this one, too. Seattle's uh, touchdown to tie it, 10-10, came on a fumbled kick return. Great hit by Terrence Garvin. Great hit. Big-time hit. Uh, I think McAvoy got the recovery from what it looked like on the replay. And then it set up the Wilson to Baldwin touchdown. Very next play. 75-yard touchdown pass for Jacksonville. Seahawks punt. 78-yard punt return by Mickens down to the one. Sets up the Fournette score. So, you know, special teams ends up playing a pretty big role in this game. I was actually watching it on mute. Could anyone explain to me what the Jaguars were doing with that three-player punt return? And then the fake pass that they had involved there it ended up being called back actually, for a penalty. Yeah, they didn't actually something. explain it, but it, yeah, they were. It looked and like the, they were the trying to do it. The special teams coordinator was pissed beyond his mind, and I thought it was funny, but I couldn't tell what was happening. They need to remember they're not the Rams, okay? They can't pull off the fake punt return stuff. Yeah, but that was that was weird. They need I to bring in Jeff Fisher seen, as their special teams coordinator. Never seen anything like that? Yeah. Well, and they did a didn't they do like a hook and ladder later in the game too on yeah. a return? Yeah, they did on a kick return. Yeah, so they did a fake throwback and then they did like a hook and ladder yeah. what the hell it was weird it was really weird it was like they were pulling out all the stops but that well, pretty much secures them i mean it's it's not secure but i mean i think they know. got the south though with tennessee's loss to yeah, tennessee to losing and marcus mariota playing terrible yeah um, something's going on with Mar- i don't think he's been fully healthy since he got hurt early in the year but he's not playing well all right I guess what does that mean for the NFC standings right now? Well, you got Philly at eleven and two and Minnesota at ten and three. Rams currently at nine and four. Saints at nine and four. Panthers nine and four. That's a big win for Carolina. I did not think they were going to be able to beat Minnesota, and they put up thirty-one on them. So Carolina's got versus Green Bay, versus Bucks at Falcons. They could be eleven and five. Yeah. Is Rodgers coming back next week? Is that word? Word on the street? Is Rodgers just coming back? Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's what they're saying. So, I don't know, man. I, it's, I don't think Seattle... It, Seattle Aaron Rodgers is getting a CAT scan this week. If it returns negative, Rodgers would gain medical clearance to return from IR and play week 15 against the Panthers. <laughs> so, that would be this week. Yeah, I so, think at this point you're you're, you're division or bust for, yeah. for Seattle. I I think that's what you gotta have the mindset is is, is division or bust, which means you gotta win this football game against the Rams, otherwise you're screwed. It's almost one of those seasons where it just like every week that Seattle does something to help bolster their position, every other team does the same thing. Like it just does not. It feels like it's not their year. To yeah, even but make at the least playoffs. the Rams lost. If the Rams would have won, and I thought they were going to win, Carson when yeah. Wentz went out, I was like, man, of course. I mean, if the Rams would have won, the playoffs would be out of the question right now, pretty much. I mean, it would be an, almost an impossible And task. even if they beat the Rams, they still have to go beat, you know, Zeke Yeah, in his first game back. It's it's just a strange season. Strange season. All right, well, we'll wrap it up there. We'll be back Friday. 
previewing Seahawks and Rams, another huge NFC West battle with three weeks to go in the regular <laughs> season. For Brian Perkins, I'm Judah Newby. This is the Game Plan Podcast, 1029thegame.com. Yeah.